Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. Uh, welcome back. Neil Channing is my guest today. How are you, Neil? Well, I'll tell you what, it's amazing, isn't it? It was quite space age. I'm glad I was going to wear my green onesie, but apparently that would have looked very bad on the new uh, super duper set. Looking forward to my virtual pastry in a minute. Yeah, and don't hold your breath. <laughs> now, before we start today, um, I want to just update you on the news that was circulating on social media last night. There was a, a shocking image that appeared which purported to show leading trainer Gordon Elliott uh, astride a prostrate, presumably uh, dead horse, on, on his gallops. Um, there was significant speculation as to whether this photograph was real or whether it had been doctored. Uh, but the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board um, sought to investigate the matter very swiftly and issued a tweet and they said the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board are aware of an image circulating on social media and the matter is under investigation. Gordon Elliott himself then tweeted, I'm aware of a photo in circulation on social media. The IHRB have been in contact with me regarding this photo and I will be cooperating fully with their investigation. Now, I am aware that a number of news agencies were trying to work out exactly how to deal with this last night but it, it has reached mail online and has also been reported by bbc sports news today but beyond that there is not much more we can say at this stage uh, clearly there's an investigation underway gordon elliott has said his piece uh, i've called the stable this morning there is no further comment from gordon elliott this morning um, he's not available for comment and the ihrb we've contacted them as well and they say they're not saying anything else until the investigation has been concluded. But they have promised the investigation will be swift. And beyond that, Neil, there's not an awful lot more we can, we can say on this other than the fact that it's, um, it's clearly a shocking image. Yeah, well, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I don't really uh, read the mail or click on the mail, as nobody should, obviously. Um, and uh, I need my house to live in, so I'm not really going to say much about it, I think, because... How the hell do we know whether, whether there's anything in this story? But clearly it's a, a story we hope which will reach a, some sort of resolution sooner rather than later because it is um, clearly potentially an, an extremely damaging one. OK, we will move on and have a look back at yesterday's racing. We will start at Kempton Park with the feature race, which was won once again by trainer Tom George, this time with Clondor Castle, who we see coming into the straight with the navy blue sleeves and cap. Uh, he'd been laid out for this race. It was his first time up in trip. 
And this was just a very unusual spectacle, Neil, relative to what we've been experiencing during the course of the season so far. What, you mean a bit of decent ground? Well, decent ground yeah. and horses going hammer and tongs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, they, I mean, I, I'm sure we'll talk about the Ida Chase later, but generally, I, you know, I'm kind of terrified of some of these slog races over the winter. Uh, in really deep ground. It, 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 we have had a few horse fatalities the last few Saturdays and uh, nobody wants to see that obviously and uh, uh, you know it was nice to have a, a, a I like watching racing on relatively decent ground. I, I, I wish uh, more racing would take place on uh, on, you know, particularly on the flat, I like to see good to firm every day. Uh, but on, you know, on the jumps, I, I don't see why we have to uh, you know water so much generally. And uh, obviously, we've had a nice dry spell, and it, it makes you kind of think people are starting to talk about uh, you know the possibility of being a good ground Cheltenham, which uh, is kind of funny considering all the rain we've had this winter, and it might throw all the form out of the window. But yeah, good good racing at Kempton yesterday, and this was a uh, you know. Nice, uh, nice performance, really. Yeah, the one thing that we know about Cheltenham is that if you get a dry spell, yes, it can drain very quickly, but mm. in the last few years, if there has been any rain in the immediate lead-up to the meeting, then it can turn itself very quickly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, we're in a world now where it rains a hell of a lot more generally than it used to. Um, but uh, I don't know, looking at, looking at the Cheltenham weather predictions, I, I think we're in for a, a dry week, and uh, uh, I, I saw good to soft was trading at sort of two to five or something like that and uh, I, uh, you know I, you couldn't argue with that could you at the moment so have you backed uh, the good to soft at two i haven't actually although um you know it used to be a kind of traditional thing to do didn't it lump on that every year and then we had a couple of years where it all went wrong um i, I it could even be good couldn't it I, I saw somebody on social media the other day saying what what, what will be the first day they water um yeah but it, it throws the form book a little bit out of the window, doesn't it? Some of these, um, you know, honeysuckle probably wants a bit, to get a bit of dig in there, appreciate it in the first, uh, in the Supreme. Uh, yeah, it might, might, be, uh, might make it good for bookmakers, I would have thought, and less good for uh, favourite backers. How much anti-post betting have you done this year? Uh, partly because of the shops being closed. I definitely would have done a lot more if the shops had been open. Uh, almost none. Um, just, you know... Nobody really fancies it when you you log on and you know back something on a Monday morning at sort of twenty five to one in a handicap. They're not that doesn't look too good on your accounts. Ridiculous, really. Uh, you might say. I know we 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 spend a lot of time on this show saying nobody wants to talk about account restrictions because it's a boring subject, and it is a bit boring. But um, I, I and I don't really you know I understand that not every customer should be allowed to have automatically whatever they want on. Uh, and, and of course, anti-post markets are, you know, a lot smaller than they used to be, uh, partly because of account restrictions. And, and, and firms treat them as a bit of a marker and whatever they do anti-post is only going to be about, you know, 3% of whatever they do at, the, at post time uh, on the race. And, they, you know, the anti-post just helps them settle their market. But it is a bit bad that you can't feel like you can use an account to have like a hundred quid each way on a 25 to one chance without fearing the account will be restricted. I'm not saying it restricted if that wins, I'm saying restricted the second you've placed that bet, yeah. which kind of seems a bit weird. Okay, we've gone off on a little bit of a tangent. Sorry, we did, we can, didn't we? we Sorry return, about that. We can return to that theme a little bit later. Tom George <laughs> joins me now. Tom, congratulations yesterday. A day you love, a race you love, and it's all come to, to fruition gloriously again. Well done. Thank you, Nick. No, it's a good day, and it's, 
been a lucky race for us over the years and one we look forward to every year. Great memories of the old grey Nakarat scorching round Kempton on a, on a sunny afternoon. When you arrived there yesterday, you must have been reminded of one or two of those, those victories. It did very much so. It just had that feel about it, the, you know, the spring-like conditions. and It just it really struck me, just seeing all the stands empty this year, it just really sunk in, you know, how much we need to appreciate it in years gone by. But it was still a great day and we had a, you know, it was, couldn't have gone better for us. Did you go into yesterday's race with significant confidence? I wouldn't be one who ever sort of says it more than I um, says more than I want to type of thing, but I probably was pretty confident with him. Yes, um, I knew all along we were going to get a big improvement stepping him up in trip, and um, thankfully for once I got it right. So we were we were happy going into it. Yes. And and from now, Tom, do you have a kind of clearer idea of what sort of horse that you've you've got on your hands? Well, I've always said um, to his owners that. Um, He'd be a graded performer, no question about that. Once we stepped him up in trip, he wasn't far off at over two and a half miles. He just took a while to get him to learn to relax in his races before early on in his career. We had a few little bits and pieces we had to deal with him. He wasn't the most straightforward to start off with, but as I said, we always knew we were going to get better when we, the further we went, and our plans for being all along was to do yesterday and then follow the same route we did with Nacra and go to Aintree after that. Yeah, and it's worth touching on, on Johnny Burke as well because he started the season so well and then had a, a period on the sidelines with, with injury. Great to see him back. Yeah, Johnny um, has had a tough time recently. It hasn't been easy for a lot of people. It's just been an unusual season, actually. And he started very well and he had an injury and then thought that was right and it came back again. And um, he's now riding really well. He's had a good couple of days. And um, I think, you know, look forward to the spring. I think we've got to put what's happened the last few months behind us and keep looking forward. And, and Tom, you, you've been training many years now and you've used a, a lot of top, top jockeys in your time. What is it you like about him? Uh, John is an excellent all-round jockey. He's very down to earth. He knows exactly what's what, having come from the upbringing he's had with his father, training point-to-pointers and horses on the track in Ireland. He's an all-round solid person and he's uh, very good at his job as well. So he's, you know, he's, he's an all-round good guy to have on your team. So the plan is clear for, for Clondor Castle. As we approach the Cheltenham Festival, how big would you expect your team to be? Very small this year, actually. We're having a bit of a transition period. Um, a lot of the old boys are no longer with us, and we're having to um, make way for some young horses coming through. And we've got some really smart young horses you know, coming through, but I'm not going to be putting the gun to the head quite at this stage. So we'll be, we'll be quieter than I have been for quite a few years, but there's one or two who go there with a shout, I think. Which ones would they be? I think we'll keep that to ourselves for time being. <laughs> OK. Um, how many have you got entered, Tom? I think there's, there's, there's half a dozen or so. Nothing too, too dramatic. But as I said, we've got some, a couple of nice ones there, which I think you know, won't be too far away. I mean, who would be your best chance, do you think, at this stage? I'd say probably come on Teddy. Yeah. And, and how's he coming along? Good, yeah. He won at Cheltenham um, uh, at Christmas time. And then he had a run to qualify at Warwick where the race just didn't work for him at all. They went too steady and they quickened up. He got into all sorts of trouble on the home turn. And he, I say he's very much an improving horse. He's, he looks, well, his work's improved significantly in the last six months and he's one we're really looking forward to. And I can't wait to him jumping fences next season as well. Uh, Bun Doran's run some mighty races around Cheltenham in the past. Which way are you inclined to go with him? Yeah, Bun Doran will probably go for the grand annually as placed in the champion chase. But... It, it's difficult with these horses, you know, they're 10 years old and keeping the wheels on them, which is one thing, but then they're so high in the handicap. Um, he has dropped a bit now to 150, so we can look forward to a grand annual with him, but it's, it's not easy for these old boys.
Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by our Bastiat Cruel Dubai. Right, come on, let's have a look at the Dovecot Novice <laughs> Eternal then, um, which was won yesterday by um, a horse trained... Emmett Mullins trained it. In Ireland, yes. by Emmett Mullins, called Cape Gentleman, and this is a horse who won the Irish's Hour, which was rated nearly mm. 100 on the flat. Calico, his resolution was questioned by some after the race. I don't know, he might have just run into the slightly stronger stair. Yeah, I, I bet this was last time uh, the winner, and he was a bit disappointing. Uh, and I couldn't resist going in again yesterday. A rare winner for me yesterday, this was. Um, he, he did look like he slightly outstayed the runner-up, although you might have to question the head carriage of the runner-up. He did stick his head in the air at least twice. Um, I think this horse is in the Ballymore, isn't it, uh, the winner? And um, I don't know whether he's up to that, really. I don't even, don't even know if he's definitely going for that. But um, I, I guess we can look at occasionally look at a race on a Saturday in the run-up to Cheltenham just on its own merits and, and not have to think purely about Cheltenham. Um, I mean, the runner-up sort of didn't really get away from the last or the second last. He hit the front, he traded uh, 1.04, no, 1.06, I think he traded. Uh, and, um, yeah, I don't know whether he got outstayed. I, I think I would be leaning slightly towards the negative on the second resolution-wise. I'd certainly give the second a spin in the Supreme. He'd be a big outsider probably, but I'd certainly mm. give him a go. He's got loads of speed. I mean, he came there really travelling, didn't he? And, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, that, that could be, that's what you want in the Supreme, isn't it? You want a horse that really travels, but also a little bit of stamina at the end. I would imagine you're all sitting there at the moment thinking you are simply teasing us with these races from, from, from Kemp's and with Cape Gentleman and, and with Tamarock Dumatan because really the star performance, well, there was only one horse who produced the star performance yesterday and that was Tritonic in the Adonis. This was mighty. He was clever there where he had to be, but he didn't lose much ground. The Max McNeil silks, the mm. maroon sleeves and cap, and he absolutely bolted up here. I think this is strong form, actually. Uh, I think the Dan Skelton horse ran really well, and uh, a couple of people picked up on uh, Paul Nichols's horse running on. Uh, you know, it wasn't really beaten that far. Yeah, the, the Paul Nichols horse is the, uh, is, is the white cap Paso Doble, yeah, the navy yeah. colours, and Dan Skelton's horse is the Jared Sullivan, the red colours John yeah. Lark. Yeah, and and obviously the in front um, you've got Gary Moore's horse. I'd back Casalupi actually each way here. A bit dirty that one. Sorry about that. I don't know how I got that one. Um, but uh, the, well, it's, nice to see, it's nice to see a nice grade two race with plenty of runners that you could you could have a mood, a mood of Snidey's way back to the runner up. Didn't really what help are you complaining about, it, Channing? Uh, well, it didn't really help the levy very much, to be fair. But um, <laughs> but uh, no, these two ran against each other at Ascot um, last time, and uh, uh, yeah, I think this form looks really strong. Uh, obviously, you couldn't not be impressed by the winner. Um, eight to one for the Triumph prior to the race. Uh, came into uh, five to one immediately after the race. Uh, it's quite interesting because sometimes uh, when you get a sort of flashy performance on a Saturday, uh, you get this concept of recency bias and gambling a lot. And last week um, with um, the other Gary Moore horse uh, winning at uh, Wincanton, Goshen, um, he, he suddenly came in for the champion hurdle, you know, a fair bit, obviously, because Goshen is back and all that kind of thing. Uh, and he touched, I think he touched 4.3 on the exchanges uh, in the sort of half an hour after the race. And now he's drifted back and he's back to sort of 5.9. Uh, but with this horse, 
the, the, the money has kept coming on. I mean, he, he was sort of five to one immediately after the race for the Triumph Hurdle. Um, he's into seven to two now. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, my, my thought process yesterday mm. was I went back and looked at his flat form because yeah. I'd forgotten just how good it was, at just mm. what level he was competing and being asked to compete, and not just as a three-year-old, but as a two-year-old against some top-quality stakes horses at the back end of his two-year-old mm. career, and I thought, yeah, he's just going to run really well, and he, and he is going to frighten Zana here. And might win. I, I think Zana had. I mean, I I haven't had a. I, if I was doing a lot of anti-post betting, I wouldn't have had an anti-post bet so far in the Triumph Hurdle, uh, because I think Zana here set such a high bar. Uh, I think Zana here could be really special, right. and I think uh, I was thinking yesterday, as they crossed the line, I sort of thought, ah, yeah, you know, that was pretty impressive, but. Yeah. I don't know. I still like Zana here, I think. Well, how impressive could this horse be? I think he could be pretty smart, Tritonic. He was very, very good yesterday. Uh, he's certainly the leading British hopeful, British trained hopeful for the Triumph Hurdle. And his rider, Adrian Heskin, joins us now. Hi, Adrian. How are you doing? Good morning, man. Very good, thanks. I'd imagine even better after yesterday. You've ridden a lot of good horses. Where does Tritonic sit amongst all of them you've ridden? Yeah, um, I suppose I've been fortunate to ride a lot, a lot of nice horses. Um, I suppose I've ridden very few um, two-year-old or two-milers. And um, this lad, he just, he feels very classy. And um, we couldn't have been any happier with what he did yesterday. I was speaking to Alan King earlier in the week about this horse's attributes, speed relative to stamina. And he was a little bit concerned going into yesterday that it was a a much more relative test of speed than Ascot had been the first time. We needn't have worried, need we? No, and I was a little bit concerned going to Kempton with him too. Um, I suppose in Ascot, he was a little bit rusty maybe, and um, he really had to dig deep that day, and uh, he showed plenty of grit and determination. But I think on a contrast, yesterday just being much sharper, he showed loads of class, and um, it's great to see that he has both attributes. Alan King said that he's the, the highest rated or, or the best flat horse he's ever sent hurdling, which is, which is quite something given how many good horses he's sent hurdling. But when you sit on a horse who's got high class form on the flat and, and the tapes go back in a hurdle race, what do you want from them? Um, you just want them to be able to jump out and travel. And I suppose in Ascot, it was great to see over the first two hurdles he had a great hunger for jumping. And uh, then you really know that they're going to enjoy it. Um, like yesterday, he jumped out very sharp over the first two hurdles. You could put him anywhere in the race. And that that's the hardest part done then. You know, you just have to enjoy it from there on. And just watching him stride out late on, Adrian, he, he's a horse who seems to move very fluently, has a, a sort of fluent, easy stride. What do you think his ideal conditions are? I think the, the ground yesterday was absolutely perfect for him. Um, I think it was a bit slower than the going description. I think it was probably good to soft all over. It was just beautiful jumping ground. I think coming into the spring now, he's going to be um, going to really enjoy the ground. Um, but like he's, he's just a big, long floating stride on him. You barely feel him touching the ground. And um, like from the back at last yesterday, he just really lengthened his stride at his ease. And... Um, by the time I got him pulled up, I think all the other horses were back in the parade ring. He, he just galloped through the line very strong. 
you know, this is um, your relationship with the owner, Max McNeil, coming to, to, to fruition. Uh, just tell me a little bit about how that all, all started, because it's been several seasons now. Yeah, um, I suppose we're, we're in partnership with just over three seasons now. Um, when I came over first and was riding for Tom George, I was lucky to get on the world's end, and um, he was running a big race for St. Albert Bartlett, and unfortunately tipped up three out. And then he went on to entry and won the, the grade one three-mile hurdle there to Sefton. And um, just from then on, myself and Max, I started riding more and more for him. And um, we came to an agreement that I'd ride predominantly for him. And it's worked out great. We've a great relationship. Um, he invests an awful lot in the game and he deserves every success he gets because he's, he's a real enthusiast. And I guess also it's widening your network at the same time and you're getting to ride for just more and more trainers that otherwise you might not have had associations with. Exactly. Like uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate to ride for some top drawer trainers like Alan King, Paul Nichols, um, Ali Murphy. And um, we've horses and trained with um, Willie Mullins and Gordon Elliott in Ireland. Now it's it's a um, fantastic bunch of trainers we have. I'm in a very fortunate position and... Um, I suppose we were just we were waiting for this one horse like Tritonic to come along now and um, put our name in lights again and hopefully he can continue his success. And if, if he's the team captain, if you like, as you head towards the, the festival, who else is in the in the batting lineup? Um we've a very nice staying chaser uh, in Ascaria ten. Um, he's entered in the National Hunt Chase and the Ultima. Um, he's been impressive in Ireland this season. Um, he's every bit a, a dour stare over fences, so hopefully he comes over with a life chance. Um, a horse of Paul Nichols, three under through five. Um, he's after winning his three novice hurdles this season. Um, Paul's handled him beautifully. He's just stepped him up a little bit every time. And um, we were originally going to wait for entry with him, but I think the plan now is to go Albert Bartlett with him. So um, really looking forward to him as well. Adrian, thanks so much for talking to me today. Uh, best of luck and uh, you know, plenty to, to look forward to with Tritonic. Definitely. Thank you. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti Cruel Dubai. Welcome back. You are watching Luck on Sunday. Lots to enjoy on the show to come. I'm really looking forward to catching up with Daryl Holland a little bit later on about his new joint venture with Kieran Fallon. Fancy that. I mean, there are very <laughs> few things that you go, what? <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, ex-jockey becoming a trader isn't normally much of a no, shock, it's not, is it? But, but tell but... me you didn't look at that and think, well, yeah, I, no, did, I didn't I, see I, that one coming. I have to say, I sort of... Daryl Holland sort of, he just kind of disappeared off the planet, didn't he? But uh, I, I, I was quite surprised to find he'd been riding in Canada and riding in all kinds of other places. Korea. Uh, Korea, yeah. yeah I, 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 that passed me by somehow. I don't know. I sort of assumed he was just pottering around at home doing some DIY and thinking about the day he might become a trainer or something. I, don't, I had no idea what he was up to. Yeah. Oh, well, you're going to find out more yeah. about it. No, I'm looking forward program. to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I hope you enjoyed the Godolphin Stud and Stable Staff Awards earlier in the week. Well, they are, they are a great thing, aren't they? Mm -hmm. And uh, actually, yeah, I watched a couple of the interviews with the winners and uh, I thought, yeah, that looks, that looks like a 
a thing to lift your spirits. It definitely. certainly did, and yeah. Beck Edmonds will be hearing from very shortly. I know you, before we hear from Beck, I know you wanted to pick up on a point that was made this week by the Racehorse Owners Association uh, president, mm. Charlie Parker, uh, to do with the gambling review and the gambling commission. Oh, okay, yeah, be, you want be, to talk about that now? Yeah, um, well, we've been talking about it a lot, yeah. and, and you mentioned it to me just before we, we came in today, and I, I thought, well, I must give Neil... Well, there's only, I, saw, I, I saw an e- I don't own any horses, but uh, somebody sent me an email that Charlie Parker of the Racehorse Owners Association had sent out to his members, uh, and I, I felt like it was in, quite interesting. So uh, the the uh, consultation into affordability checks, which the Gambling Commission were doing, they were asking people to send in and say what they thought about um, affordability checks. That closed uh, earlier on in the month. Uh, but we also have the review of the Gambling Act, so um, you know that's a, that's a separate thing as as it stands at the moment. It's possible uh, for the Gambling Commission to bring in all these rules on affordability checks, maybe saying that if you deposit more than a hundred pounds in a month, uh, you need to send in your P60 and uh, mm. if you're self-employed, twelve months accounts and your bank statements and all this kind of thing, which of course could have a huge negative effect. On betting turnover and hence funding of our sport, um, so that that's obviously the the you know key important thing about it. Uh, but the Gambling Act is also due to change. The 2007 Gambling Act needs upgrading, uh, and he was making the point that it would be good for his members uh, to lobby their MP to say that the affordability stuff shouldn't just be something that this unelected quango, the Gambling Commission, can just deal with on their own, because they can, uh, and they can bring in all this kind of stuff by May, for example, if they wanted to. Um, and he said, well, you should write to your MP and say that uh, this should be part, it should need legislation. It's too mm-hmm. big a change to impinge on people's civil liberties. There's also obviously a knock-on effect to the sport of horse racing, uh, the funding of the sport, which brings in a lot of tax revenue and, and jobs. Uh, and therefore, if you, if you contact your MP and say this should be put into the Gambling Act and it, and it should need to be part of the Gambling Act, at the very least, that will put everything back a while and this stuff won't be able to come in too quickly because the Gambling Act, is there's going to be a green paper later in the year, then next year there'll be a white paper and it has to go through Parliament. It'll end up being the 2023 Gambling Act. Uh, and at least we won't have to uh, worry about this stuff so quickly. The other thing that's quite interesting is that the, uh, the Gambling Commission revealed that 13,000 people had replied um, to the uh, to the consultation on affordability, uh, I think they were expecting about 200. They don't have a huge staff. Mm. Obviously, there's Corona and all that going on. Um, if they were to say, "Well, we're going to just bring in these affordability checks," you know, in May, for example, I think it would be quite reasonable for people to make the case that well, you can't possibly have read and digested 13,000 quite long submissions that people were making. Uh, and I think you know MPs need to be aware of that because if 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 the consultation just turns out to be a box ticking exercise and they were never really going to look at what people were sending in, I, I think that's not right. So, given the fact that you have been one of the champions of getting people to send in their submissions, I think it was have good you, that people have you did. inadvertently become the filibuster in chief? <laughs> so they, the, the pile well, of post is so high. Yeah. That well, they can't get through it all, and it means that this is being kicked into the long well, grass. Well, I think it's until... good. I think it's good. I also think, from just knowing a little bit about how MPs work, you know, they get lots of letters from you know 
these kind of... Uh, constituents, uh, I think they're called. Well, they yeah. get letters from constituents about housing and immigration. Those yeah. are the two most common things that people write to their MP about. Uh, and they also get loads of these things from online petition firms. Uh, you know, and it's quite unusual that a constituent raises a point with them that's never been raised before uh, on a subject that they might not really know too much about. Uh, another thing that somebody else said to me that I thought was quite interesting was that there is a slight feeling that horse racing is a bit of a Tory sport. It's for poshos. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, I would say that lots of people uh, that you run into in everyday life, you know, going into betting shops or whatever, are just normal people. And, and, it, and it can be, it's just as much a working class sport as it is a sport for the aristocracy. Uh, and for rich people, ordinary punters are just normal people. Obviously, they don't all own racehorses. Um, so it would be quite good if people had Labour MPs that they could lobby, because the Tory mm. party are seen to have a reasonably strong horse racing lobby, whereas the Labour party, I know you've had Conor McGinn on the show yeah. before, and he's a strong advocate for horse racing, but there aren't so many Labour MPs that are big you know, batters for horse racing. So if you have a Labour MP... Uh, maybe that's the person to write His, to. Historically, you know, there have been uh, mm. prominent Labour MPs. Yeah, that's Robin, true. Robin Cook being the most yeah, obvious yeah, example. Yeah, obviously, but Jeff yeah, Ennis, yeah. who was co-chair of the all-party group, was dead passionate right, about it for right. years. Yeah. You know, I don't think there are too Connor many at now. the moment, though. No. Uh, I mean, Connor would be an, uh, an exception, yeah. yeah. What about my Liberal Democrat MP? Uh, yeah, you've got one in Twickenham, haven't you? <laughs> okay. I, 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 it's a lady, isn't it? Manira Wilson, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. She's been excellent in the in supporting Park Lane Stables, which reached the million pounds. That was brilliant, by the way. That was a so, that was a touching story. I was an uplifting story. So, um, full marks to to Manira Wilson MP as well. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiwell Dubai. Brilliantly skillful, completely committed and dedicated, a wonderful lineup of winners for the Godolphin Stud and Stable Staff Award. Alice Price, Joe Vasich, Elodie Swan, Joe Saunders, Richard Phillips, a great double for him. And taking the Employee of the Year trophy, Rebecca Edmonds, working for Brian Smart, who was also successful in the leadership category. I was lucky enough to, to chair, chair the judging panel this year, um, Neil, and I, I honestly cannot think of anything that has been a more fulfilling experience. Oh, brilliant. That is good to hear. Yeah, no, it was. I, I, I had a quick look at it. I didn't watch all of it, to be honest with you, but I saw the interviews uh, and I watched uh, a little bit on uh, ITV Racing yeah. yesterday as well about it. And uh, yeah, it was, it's a feel-good thing. God, how can that be bad? That was brilliant. And Ed and Ollie did a great job with the, with the ceremony. And I, I want to thank the, the guys here as well uh, at uh, Racing TV, Martin Richards and um, John McCormack and, and their team for putting it all together because it, uh, it was high risk this year, but it was, uh, it was, it was well worthwhile. I think you'll, uh, I think you'll agree. Uh, Beck didn't quite know uh, how it felt on, on Monday <laughs> night. She's had a few days to, to digest it. And as usual with the employee of the year, has, has to swiftly become a, a media superstar <laughs> overnight. And Beck's with us again now. No rest for the wicked, Beck. How are you doing? Uh, I'm all right, thanks. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's been amazing, but very stressful. <laughs> um, I didn't really realise how much um, uh, TV interviewing uh, was going to happen, but... Um, I'm getting there. <laughs> this is this is the penalty you pay for your for your years of brilliance and, and dedication. Just tell us about how 
how it's resonated within the yard, within the Brian Smart stable? Oh, I mean, the lads, it, we have been buzzing. I mean, the weather's been beautiful, which is just icing on the cake. But um, the smiles, the laughter, the joking, um, oh, it's just been brilliant. It's lifted everybody's spirits. Um, we're still waiting for the trophy. We can't wait to see that. <laughs> we get some more photos taken with that. Um, but owners phoning in, emails, cards, gifts. Oh, it's just been amazing. And, I mean, it's not just me. It's the team, you know. I'm nobody without them. So it's it's been such a boost for all of us. It's been fantastic. Um, Beck, I've got a bit of a confession to make. Uh, the trophy's actually sitting in my office still at home. So <laughs> I promise you, I promise you, First thing tomorrow morning, that trophy is getting couriered up the A1 and it will be yeah. with you as soon as possible. It was there That'd as the prop brilliant. for the other night. So, um, listen, uh, the one thing that came through, I think, most strongly to everybody was, you know, Brian's stable, you just described to everyone, it's not, you're not in the heart of a training centre. So it's not no, part of it. It's not part of a wider racing community. So, so to what extent do you have to sort of create the community yourself? Yeah, we do. Um, we are isolated. We're seven miles from the nearest towns and, I mean, towns, Thirsk, it's not very big, and Helmsley is the other way. Um, so if you haven't got your own vehicle, you are very stranded. Um, and we we try hard to make sure that the lads don't get lost in the yard Um we very much keep them as part of our family. So if somebody's going to town, do they need a lift? Do they need anything from the shops? Um, we try and do things together in the yard, organising barbecues and whatnot. I mean, it's been tough um, because of the COVID and normally you get to go away on your um, time off to see your family and, and we haven't been able to do that. So it's been very important to um, look after them that little bit more. Um especially through this tough winter we've just had. <laughs> I, had a, I had a lovely phone call from Brian Smart earlier in the week, and a lot of people have been teasing him this week, saying that Beck Edmonds yeah. must, be, must be amazing to, to put up with you. But he, he rang me, and he, he, was being very, he was very self-deprecating, and he said, the thing about Beck is that she understands how to connect me to my, to my staff. Just tell me a little bit more about that. He said, you, he, you'll often like take somebody to him when he's, when he's doing a bit of gardening, because he's a massive keen gardener, just so they can they can sort of see him when he's at his most peaceful, if you like. Yeah. Um, the main part of um, the yard that probably me and my husband, Kevin, have, have adapted over the years is to take a lot of the unnecessary stress away from him because he needs to be able to concentrate on, on training the horses and looking after the owners. And it's a very stressful job in its own right without having to deal with... Um, silly things you know staff that might have had a squabble with their brother or sister at home or something and brought it to the yard and and horses not having the correct tack on before they're about to go up the gallop and and me and Kevin we make sure that everything is right before he then comes out of the office and all he has to do then is go up the gallops watch the horses come back and he can go back in the office without having to waste time on little things um and he's he's really um, got very involved in his gardening, actually. He's very passionate about it. He's got lots of flowers, which he grows from seeds now instead of buying them from the the um, garden centres. And um, it's his little bit of, I have my dogs, the boss has his gardening, and um, he loves it. And quite right, too. He should have some downtime 
it's not often um, being a trainer you can relax, I think, and um, you need something. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Well, if you're unsure about the word roadmap at the moment, then you might want to switch off for the, for the next few minutes because we're going to talk about racing's own roadmap, mirroring that uh, of the government and how we get various sections of the industry back on a race course and at what point we might reach full recovery. The Race Course Association um, chief executive is David Armstrong and he joins me uh, on the line once again. David, good morning. Good morning, Nick. So racing has, has sort of reached its own uh, decisions as to, as to how to interpret the government roadmap this week. Uh, what are the key headlines? Well, the first thing that I'd have to say is that it's great news to see the roadmap, um, and particularly the step three and four, which I'll come to, which allow us to properly understand the way in which we'll be able to bring racing back to normal. So that's very exciting. Uh, the first important date for us is going to be the 29th of March. Uh, and on that date, we'll be able to see um, owners return to the race course together with uh, amateur jockeys being allowed to take part uh, in amateurs races again. Uh, and that all coincides with the end of the stay at home message that government, of course, have been pushing um, all along. So that's the, that's an important date for us. Then the step two in the process is April the 12th, which doesn't have too many connotations for racing, although it will allow us to bring back hospitality for owners on the race course when they're there. But during April and into early May, a new organization has been set up called the Events Research Program. And that's going to be running a series of pilot or test events during some of that period. So that will allow us potentially to take part and host a pilot event on one or more race courses during that period. We then get to May the 17th. And on May the 17th, we see spectators allowed back into uh, sporting venues on a limited basis. Outdoor venues such as race courses are, uh, the headline figure is 4,000 people or 50% of their pre-COVID capacity, whichever is the lower. Um, and for stadia uh, uh, venues, that becomes 10,000 people or 25% of their 25% uh, of their pre-COVID capacity. So currently, we're working with uh, DCMS and government to see if we can uh, ask for race courses to be considered as stadia in that circumstance. We then move forward to June 21st. And on June 21st, if everything else has gone according to plan, we'll see lifting of many of the legal restrictions with regards to uh, general life, not just sporting venues. And at that point, we should see a significant increase in spectators. But what I would say is that each of those dates I've just described are a not before date. They rely on everything uh, moving smoothly and they rely on certain tests being met by government. We only find out that we're definitely moving from one step to another one week before the step actually starts. So it will be quite short notice. But obviously we want to plan on the basis that those steps are going to be achieved. David, I want to talk to you about this ERP. Is it the Event Research Programme? Is that right? So this That's is, right, yeah. This is, this is to try and, and, and trial days where you can have spectators before that official date of mid-May, the 19th of May. So big festivals, for example, like Chester's May Festival, 
suggested that they could get you know 5,000 people in before the before the roadmap was published would they for example still be eligible to host a trial day as part of the ERP would you be able to have a big event like that be be part of be part of a trial or is that not really practical no, that is practical. And, you know, I would hope that uh, events like Chester's May Festival would be very high on the list of potential pilot events. What we do know, though, is that the ERP is not only tasked with looking at racing or sport, it's looking right across the spectrum of events. So it will include concerts, music festivals, that sort of thing. It'll include exhibitions, conferences, anywhere where there are significant gatherings of people. So the number of events that racing might get, or the number of events really the sport will get in total, will be relatively limited. So I would be hopeful that we would get certainly one event to trial or to pilot. We might struggle to get more than that. So, you, yeah, so there might only be one pilot event before the 19th of May. Potentially, yes. Of course, through the summer and, uh, and autumn and into the winter months, each race course was already working on its plans for how it would bring spectators back. So I don't think it'll be particularly difficult for a race course that hasn't had a pilot event to be able to resume according to the new guidelines on the 17th of May. Okay, so there'd be, I mean, we've ruled out, obviously, there's going to be no, no spectators of any description at the, at the Cheltenham Festival, no owners at the Cheltenham Festival. There may be some owners you know, on the current roadmap, 29th of, of March at, at Aintree in the Grand National. Um, do you do you see the possibility of there being any spectators at the Grand National as part of the ERP? Is that a possibility? I think it's a possibility, but probably a long shot at this point. Um, it's not that long, and to me it's only five weeks or so, isn't it, until we get to the Grand National, and that doesn't leave a lot of time for preparation. But we'll certainly be pushing hard for all our major events to be included in that ERP, and we would include the Grand National in that. It's just a little bit higher up the, the hard-to-do list. Are you expecting mass testing um, further down the line? When, when spectators do start coming back in significant numbers, are you expecting mass testing to be you know, de rigueur? I think it's too early to tell yet. Now, that's one of the tasks the ERP has, is to work out what, what protocols we want to follow uh, when we come back uh, in May and then in June. I think it's a possibility that mass testing would be included, and we're working on a variety of potential solutions for mass testing and how that would be implemented. But of course, it is a difficult thing to do, and it is very difficult if you try and do it on the race course on the race day itself. So we'll be looking at a number of options as to how we might do that so that we can simplify the process should we be required to do it. But the ERP will, in the first instance, look at different possible options that might include mass testing and we need to be ready for all possible outcomes. David, do you see any alteration to the fixture list because of this? Because obviously you've got major festivals that are missing staging posts. Well, this is inevitably going to happen if you're going to have a roadmap. The obvious one's Asker. I talked to Nick Smith about it, and he was being very sensible and pragmatic about whether or not you can move the week back. But it struck me, you know, the Derby again, no spectators again for the second consecutive year. This is going to be a crushing, crushing blow financially to our most historic horse race. Is there any mileage in trying to get some of these race courses to start jiggling things around in the summer now, do you think? Well, I think, it, I think it's very difficult to um, actually jiggle the fixtures around, as you described. Um, firstly, the thing I point out is that the dates that we're looking at are all best before dates. They're certainly not set in stone. So you could end up moving some fixtures around and still being disappointed that the, the steps haven't been achieved. Moving fixtures within the fixture list is actually a very complicated thing to do. 
and because it has a knock-on effect on many other fixtures over the same period of time, sometimes with the major flat races, it has an impact on the pattern. And all of these things are harder to do than, than you might imagine. So it is challenging for us to do. Um, the good, you mentioned the Derby. The Derby, of course, will include um, that limited number of spectators yeah. from Sorry, step yeah. three. Yeah. So we'll have at least 4,000 and hopefully more. I just want to ask about the, the the forty million loan, David, that we've spoken about several times on on this program. That was, you know, available to to, to sporting bodies or, or, or sporting institutions. Any sign of that, and any sign of its distribution? No, the process is very much ongoing and live at the moment, Nick. Um, we've been in in detailed conversations with DCMS and Sport England, who are those um, uh, working the scheme through. Um, we are, you know, still probably a few days away from a final conclusion to that. But I'm, I'm quietly confident that we are going to get support um, from that scheme, um, potentially with the, with the further assistance of the levy board as well. Yeah, and how, how is it going to be distributed or what's the sort of process by which it can then be distributed? We don't know yet. Um, we, we expect that there's an opportunity potentially for some distribution via the levy board. Uh, some race courses may be able to receive funds directly as well. So the final details of how the distribution is going to work will be worked out once we're certain that the package is being confirmed. But I would hope we'll have news on that, that confirmation that is, certainly within a week, if not two weeks. Finally, David, a fixture list came out for 2021 this week. Uh, the Professional Jockeys Association gave it some praise, though some critique of there being too few breaks in the fixture list for jockeys under under both codes, is that something you, you you'd like to address? Well, I think I think firstly, sort of the, the the welfare and support for the jockeys is very very important for us. But there are many ways to achieve that, and and further jockey breaks could be one of those. Uh, looking at the the number of fixtures that a, a jockey is able to ride in a given week is another way to look at that. So there are there are several different aspects. Participant welfare and, and particularly the mental well-being of, of all participants, especially jockeys, is very, very important for all of us. Uh, and we'll be looking to find creative solutions to that over the coming period. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. Well... It's not that often when you work in horse racing that you look at a headline, particularly with social media and hot news, and you're genuinely surprised by it. But I must say, when I looked down at the phone yesterday and saw Holland and Fallon to start training together, it did take me by surprise, a nice surprise for sure. These are the former jockeys, Daryl Holland and Kieran Fallon, who are going to set up as trainer and assistant trainer, respectively, in a base just outside Newmarket. And I'm, I'm really pleased to say that Daryl uh, joins me here in the Luck on Sunday studio now. Uh, Daryl, good morning. Good morning, Nick. How are you? I'm very well. Um, you've, you've bowled us a googly, but it's a glorious one. Just, just tell, tell us how it's all come about. Um, well, I don't know whether many people know. I think in 2018, I had a career-ending, well, possibly a career-ending injury. I, I broke my ankle very badly with the chance to more in uh, Mauritius. So um, I, I rang up Saeed Bin Saroor to, you know, get a bit of R&R and go and ride out in Dubai. You know, and Kieran was he was a great asset. He really helped me. I mean, I, I never really knew Kieran. Obviously, I knew knew him because he was a great rival and you know beat me all the time. But uh, there you go. Um, and he was just a really good help in Dubai, and we became good mates. And um, 
you know, Kieran said, what's your plans? I said, well, I'll probably ride for a couple more years. So I went to Mauritius and then I did Canada. And I thought the natural transition would be to, to train because, you know, I've had my own place in Newmarket since 2007, but always sort of like rented it out. So I thought it was, um, it was time, Nick. It was time. I felt it was time. You know, I had a good run. So um, I thought the, the timing was right to, to, to make that change. And, and because you've been, you know, way out of the country and here, there and everywhere for the last few years, people have sort of forgotten, forgotten a little bit um, you know, the, the, the riding career. Just tell me all the countries you've, you've been to and ridden in and done, and done well in since your last stint in, in the UK. Well, it's probably most of them on the map, to be honest. I've, I've gone around the world twice, I think. Um, I've ridden in some uh, obscure places like South Korea. But, you know, Nick, I really enjoyed every part where I rode. Um, it just gave me that bit more longevity in the saddle. It was less wear and tear on my body. Um, you know, I'm approaching 49 years this year. So um, the timing was right. And I'm very much looking forward to it. And, and you've got a, you know, a massive asset with Kieran. I think we've got 70 years of experience between us. So if we can't have a winner or winners, we might as well give up. And was there that sense that you, you wanted to come home as well, that you wanted, you wanted to sort of establish your roots again? Yeah, I did. I mean, I, I mean, I missed home, particularly when I was in Canada. We, we've got a young baby, little Rocco, who's one, and I've also got twins that I didn't see for for seven months. So, you know, albeit by Skype or WhatsApp, whatever. And um, yeah, I wanted to come home. I mean, it was locked down there as well. It was a tough year for everybody last year, so um, it was good to be home and appreciate, you know, what I've got. I've just lost you for a little yeah. while. Oh, no, I've got I've you back. Got, I've got you back. I've got somebody we were, else trying to ring this typical, isn't it? That's all right. That's all right. We were just we were just uh, we were just reminding everybody who it was we were talking to, Daryl. So tell me a little bit about so tell me a little bit about the yard itself and and how you built it up. Yeah, I mean the yard's an historic yard. It's had a, a derby runner from here, Cicero. Um I mean it's a beautiful looking yard. It's got the capacity of 50 horses to coming here and it's you know it's a stone throw away from the gallops very quiet and um, got a real bit of carriage, got a nice feel to the place and we've got happy horses. So exactly where, so where exactly is it then in, in Newmarket? It's in Exton in Newmarket, just down the outskirts. And, but you can get on the gallops very easily and you're, and you're out there, so you'd be very much, you're very much part of the town. Yes, I'm literally next door to Gay Kellaway and uh, you literally go under the bridge and um, you know, your race course side, so we've got uh, an abundance of gallops to you know, to access or, or be it grass or, or all weather, you know, a lot of nice surfaces. It's well prepared from, by the jockey club here. Got Gray in the Gallup man does a magnificent job. So, yeah, it, it's all the facilities are second to none, to be fair. It's HQ of horse racing. And as you as you look out of the window to your to your stable full of horses, what do you see? Who do you see? Well, I see winners and, um, you know, I see a challenge ahead. Oh, you know, I, I, I've got no illusion about that. But I want to put my knowledge and expertise to good stead. Um, and the owner's going to have a good time. Um, they will. It's not just all, all serious stuff. And it'll be a fun place for them to come down, you know, when everybody can get out. Um, you know, we're still in partial lockdown or whatever. But I think people will be itching to come back racing. And so have you got, have you, have you got plenty of horses ready to roll, ready to go? Yeah, I mean, we, we were going to have a runner on March the 12th, but he just had a slight setback, so that won't be happening now. Um, but they'll only run when they're ready, and um, when these two-year-olds get going, I mean, we, you know, we want them running straight. Um, it was always a frustration as a jockey when you get on very green ones first time out, but they'll know the job these lot.
And what do you uh, feel that Kieran is going to bring to to your operation? How do you think you'll you'll work as a team, Daryl? I think just his input, Nick. Um, you know, Kieran's got a special way. He's got a he's got an affinity with the horses. Um, kind of like people think he can read their minds, and uh, just working with him slightly, I, I, I kind of like believe that. Um, you know, just his input and what he says is it's them little pieces that you pick up on. You know, suggestions. I'm, I've got good ears on me. You know, I'll always, I'll always listen, and um, I'm open to good criticism, criticism as well as bad criticism. So it's a team effort, and that's what we're about here at Harrington Court. And when you were when you were riding, at any point did you did you imagine that training would be your game at the end of it all? Was it is it always something that's been in the back of your mind? It has. I mean, I, I did the, the modules at the British Racing School um, sporadically, you know racing permitting so it was it just gave me that second option if that's what i wanted to do it's very hard i mean i was talking to with a mate of mine the other day paul edry um you know a lot of sportsmen can go into depression and stuff like that when they give up racing racing you're not going in a car anymore and all of a sudden your phone stopped ringing so this was something i was preparing for and um as i said repeat myself this is obviously a natural transition to stay within the game and that's what I wanted to do because I do love horse racing. It's been very good to me. And because you've been around the world and you've you've ridden for so many different trainers, you must have picked up so much from so many different places. Tell me about some of the trainers that you really admire, just the way they did things, the way they prepared horses. Who would be, do you think, your your biggest influences? I, I think it would have to be um, it'd have to be Mark Johnson, really, and Barry Hills. I mean, Barry Hills was like a father figure to me, and um, and Penny as well. They, they were fantastic, nurturing me early, earlier days because I probably could have gone off the rails. And um, sometimes you have to listen. And uh, I mean, Mark Johnson, winning most trainer. Um, you know, his horses have a nev never say die attitude. And you know, that's what I want my horses to do. I want them to fight for us and um, you know, give it, give us everything they've got. And and when you when you went abroad and and, and sort of picked up little bits and pieces from from all over the world. Are you, are you sort of hoping to apply that to, to what you do? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't really set things in stone. The English way is the way to do it. I've seen fabulous ways the, the Aussies do it. You know, they can run a horse over six furlongs and the following weeks, you know, running in a Melbourne Cup, um, getting placed or can win. So, you know, you've got to be versatile. And um, I think that's the key to it. I mean, horse racing has changed a lot a lot since I first came into it, these new methods, new ways. And if that works and you put it in practice and it works for you, um, so be it. I mean, but it might not be for everybody. So, Dara, how would people, how do you think people train differently now to how they did, say, in the early 90s when you when you were sort of starting to do really well and, and were sort of one of the, the top riders in the country at a very young age? Yeah, I, I think we go for more faster horses now. We, you know, we, we breed a bit more speed into them. Um, you know, the focus is we're really on more of the staying races when I first came into the game. But now we'd love to see a fast sprinter. Patash obviously has captured the public imagination. Very, very quick horse. It, it just gets the appetite a bit more when they're, when they're going a bit quicker, I think. A bit more exciting. And will you still, will you still ride as part of your, of your daily routine? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I like to, to keep fit. I mean, even though I've you know, so to speak, retired. I don't like using that word retired, but um, obviously I won't race ride again. Um, but, I've, you know, I still ride where I'm very active. 
But I think it's also very important to, you know, have your feet on the ground because you can see a lot more as well. So I kind of like toss between the two. So, um, yeah, and I mean, it's working well at the moment. Really, really happy. The horses are going really good too. And, and just tell me, as a, as a, as a rider of, of so many years, do you think that will make you more critical of a, of a jockey riding for you or more understanding? Um, I mean, I think I've ridden with most of the jockeys that I'm, I'm probably going to use. Um, I think you've got to be critical. I mean, I, I think, you know, you take it on the chin as a jockey. You know when you've messed up. You go past that line and think, oh, God, what was I doing there? So you kind of like, no, I mean, I'm never ever going to tie a, a jockey down to orders. I mean, it, you know, I'll give him sort of like um, the crucial parts, whether it pulls up or in, in front or it's a bit keen, drop it in. But um, you don't give jockeys, good jockeys orders. Um, I mean, I got beat quite a lot of times get, getting getting orders, um, which is equally frustrating. And of course, you mentioned Mark Johnston. He famously says he doesn't give orders. No, he doesn't. I mean, he was fantastic to ride for um, himself and Deirdre. Uh, they were a great team. And, uh, you know, once they leg you up, you know, it's kind of like you know what to do. And, um, I mean, you have to you have to give that trust to your jockey, you know, and especially if they've been riding them out in the morning, they get a feel for them. They know what to do. I mean, I say to the lads in the morning, I've got a good team, AD, Jordan, uh, Rob. I mean, sort yourself out, lads. You know, I keep, you know, I tend to stick the guys on the same horses that they get on with. So when we pull out, I say, sort yourselves out. I mean, they know what to do. They know what's required from them too. And, um, you know, they, they seem to like to take, you know, that little bit of responsibility. But ultimately, the final decision will be with um, myself and Kieran. Yeah, so apart from Kieran, you mentioned one or two of the, the guys that are going to be helping you. Just talk to me a little bit about your, your team and how you're putting it together. Yeah, well, Aidan McCarthy used to ride. Um, yeah. He's a great lad. He, he obviously rides work for Peter Chapeline, who, who is he's no fool. He's won two derbies, and he uses him, him as well as his main work rider. And then I've got Rob, who rides out for Sir Michael. And also, Rob, he rides out for Stouty as well. So... Um, yeah, they're, they're a good bunch of lads. And I think it's very important when, you know, the two-year-olds are young, they need to be nurtured, they need to have lads or lasses on with, with good hands. And, and how about the owners at the moment, Daryl? Who's, who's, who owns most of the horses? Well, we've got Herons Court Stables Limited. That's a, that's a consortium. And then we've got a few individual owners. We've got um, plenty of orders um, for the Breeze Up. So we're looking to go down to the Breeze Ups and... Uh, you know, cast our over a few. We've we've got Kerry Ratcliffe. She's looking at a few. She actually texted me last night, actually, with a few horses that she's been watching, and uh, they'll be going to the breeze up. So, um, yeah, you know, moving forward, it's all good, and um, there's a plan put in pay- place for what we want to do and and what we're trying to achieve, and um, and that's what we're going to do. And you know, you could you could take a, a jockey who's had a basically a 30-year career, Group One career, Grade One career, international career, and and go through the back catalogue. But it strikes me you're just not that person. You're not the person that wants to go back through group one win after group one win and sort of luxuriate in past glories that you want to you kick on to the next thing. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think you've, you've got me spot on, Nick. I mean, you know me quite well. Um, you know, you've been on the circuit you know, quite a while. You know, I don't, I don't really like to look back. Of course, I'm, 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 you know, I'm happy what I've achieved within my racing career in terms of race riding, but it's the next step now. And, um, you know, that I want to get the winners as a trainer. And, um, you know, as I said on the telly the other day, you know, Kieran says it gives him more enjoyment 
watching young Kieran ride a winner than it did riding all his winners. I mean, that is a statement, isn't it? And, um, you know, I just can't wait for that feeling for myself because it'll just ignite me again. I, you know, I, I'm a bad loser. I mean, I do like to win. Um, you mentioned young Kieran Fallon there. So you can look at it now with a nice, dispassionate eye. Why is he good? Um, he's a bit of an all-rounder. I mean, he came on the scene very quickly and um, he got his group one very quickly, his group three very quickly. He's bred well um, and I think he handles himself very well with the media and, he, and he's got a good level head and, um, you know, his feet are firmly on the ground. Do you... I mean, it's, it's the package deal, Nick. You know, that's what you need. It's not just about... You can be a brilliant rider. I've seen them come and go. I've seen, you know, the next champion and all of a sudden they, they start to get the money, the hangers on, all the rest of it. And, they, you know, you never hear of them again. Uh, do you look back on, on you when you were that age and you were a kind of prodigious young talent and were, were being talked of as the next this, that and the other? And, you know, to a large extent, that talent was was very well well fulfilled. But do you look at, at guys like him nowadays and think, how on earth are they quite as composed as they are? Yeah, I mean, I was lucky. Um, you know, I'd, I had Barry and Penny Hills. They nurtured me and directed me in the, in, the, in the right direction. But ultimately, it's down to yourself to surround yourself with the right people because they, they will take advantage. And sometimes you can't see that. You think it's going to last forever. But uh, nothing, nothing does, does it? Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiwell Dubai.